0: welcome back to the restaurant growth podcast by seven shifts and for the last time this year i am your host dj don't worry we'll be back next year and we're coming together for the last episode of 2021 today we have dan simpson on the show dan simpson is the ceo of taziki's restaurant which with 100 locations and 3,000 employees still managed to have a high retention rate higher than industry average and are really paving the way for what it means to be an employer of choice in the restaurant industry. So we get into how they've been able to do that. And I'll give you a little hint, it's with a lot of employee conversations and a lot of getting to know who works for you and what they need out of a career at your company. Uh, We also get into a bit of the future of work in the hospitality industry and what something like micro-shifting might look like. It was an amazing conversation. I couldn't think of a better one to cap off the year and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Dan, how are you today? I'm great. Good to be with you in this holiday season. Yes, you as well. I hope you've had an excellent holiday Um, and there's still more holidays to go. Um, But yeah, just wanted to kind of go in. Uh, Dan Simpson, CEO of Tzatziki's Restaurant, tell us what you and Tzatziki's are all about. Thanks a lot. Yeah, great to be
1: here. Uh, We like to say at Tzatziki's that we offer the world a fresh celebration of the Mediterranean diet. Most everybody's familiar with the Mediterranean diet, very popular year over year Um, Not just a healthy way to eat, but really a healthy way to live. Um, And that whole idea is, you know, really about living in community, living an active lifestyle, and then just being intentional about the way that we eat, whether it's like plant-based and adding the right amount of proteins and absolutely a glass of wine to celebrate the highs and the lows of life. And so that's what we're all about, trying to offer nutritious and delicious food for the whole family. One of the great things about Tzatziki's is is just that. Our our typical customer might be a working professional female who brings her kids and her husband or coworkers, but people come to Tzatziki's and they stay for life, which we're excited about. But um, Tzatziki's is also, um, we take a lot of pride in. It's a place where a lot of people come for a job and they stay for a career. And so it's a, it's a place where they're makers, they're creators, right? They take a lot of pride in the food that they make, because they see it starts with whole ingredients and they see how amazing it tastes for our guests. And then lastly, I would say like, we're, we really strive to be a part of the community. No different than the essential qualities of a school and a church and the nonprofits and the businesses, Tzatziki's wants to be a place that brings people together around great food. And we're, you know, as a company right now, we're, we're approaching our hundredth unit. We're in 17 states originally in the Southeast and growing out from there. And we have come through the pandemic, not just surviving, but thriving. And we're excited for all that lies ahead.
0: How many employees would you say you have across all of those locations?
1: Yeah. Across all there, there are over 3000 employees. Yeah. You think about, I mean, particularly, you know, we always say like many do, like we're in the people business or we're only as good as our people. And that's true. It takes on new meaning when you are faced with furloughing people, you're faced with Being the provider of income for people's families, their lives, their kids, their dreams. It's a lot of responsibility and we're really grateful that even where we had to do some select furloughing, we were able to bring essentially everybody back on board very quickly and it stayed in that posture the whole time.
0: It's amazing. And being able to, you know, unfortunately have to furlough those folks, but being able to bring everyone back, you've been able to kind of keep staff and retain your staff um, at a pretty high, high rate, higher than industry average even through the pandemic and, and into today um, and how does that begin where do you start and what do you think what separates you guys from the rest when it comes to keeping staff around and, and how does that how do you start to kind of learn about your staff and, and get to the point where you can have that high retention
1: i would say first of all it starts with our culture one of the things when i joined the brand and keith and amy the founders We talked a lot about, you know, who are we at our best? Like what was in the heart and the mind of the founders when they started the brand? And who are we now as we look to hire people and add people to our teams? Because everyone has a culture, just some cultures are not defined, right? So we defined our culture that first of all, we want to be a culture of connection and then collaboration. And then the kind of people that embrace a challenge, that focus on the details and we're committed to keep it fresh, to keep it relevant. Those five guide points um, help us, um, be all that we can be and hire the right kind of people that are bought into the, that sort of ethos. And, you know, I think over time though, right, it's a lot of people to stay engaged with. So I'd say from yeah. like a macro to micro perspective, macro perspective, I mean, we are trying to um, be smart about asking questions. Um, and mm-hmm. so you can look at everything from like our data, from our, our platform, our tools platform called employee maintenance, we track all of our employees, when they started and turnover and those things. We took all that data, their addresses, and then we have a really great technology platform called eSights. We put those things together and actually can help us see where our staff live. Yep. Uh, over time, where we're hiring from, and that helps us actually go back and to engage the parts of the community that maybe it's because it's along a convenient, you know, interstate or bus line or something like that. And then we survey our staff, right? Just ask them. We shouldn't. Good leaders don't need to guess from an ivory tower. Let's just talk to our staff. Surveys are a way to do that in the last several months we've asked them about why they stay or why they might be tempted to leave yeah. and as you and i have been talking about a little bit offline about yeah it does come back to you know wages and it comes back to maybe a existential change of direction in life it comes back to child care it comes back to both some very practical and some very directional uh, reasons and, and i would say last but not least on a most micro level is literally just Sharing a meal with our everyone from our area supervisors to our managers to our crew staff and just asking them what matters to you and I think this is the real gift through the the great resignation and labor crisis is that yeah. forced us to be I think what we want to be which is to start interviews like this like yeah. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your life priorities. Tell me about your kids. When do you need to pick them up and drop them off? Tell me about what matters to you outside of this job, and let's see if we can work out a schedule that works for you. Instead of it just being, "Here's my schedule. Take it or leave it," because there's ten people standing behind you.
0: Right.
1: And so, I that's it's from a macro to micro perspective, um, as you know, how we kind of stay engaged with our staff and their needs.
0: That's awesome. And just I think it's so important talking, just talking to the staff you know, like you said, you're doing surveys and you're starting interviews with those kind of questions. You know, what kind of makeup is your stuff? Is it mostly kids? Is it, is it parents? Um, and where have you kind of found the common ground between, because you can't just do make one change that impacts everybody. Right. You kind of have to figure out, especially with a staff of that size, but even with a, a smaller one, um, you kind of have to make pinpoint adjustments for depending on who works for you. So what, what kind of ways have you figured out and how do you kind of segment that or uh, segment that?
1: Yeah, I think um, correct diagnosis is key if you want the right remedy. And And here's where there's a little bit of a gift that we all have in our organizations if we just look at this, which is think first before our staff, think about our customers, our guests, right? Yep. We go to Great Lanes to deploy all this technology for customer segmentation and mosaics and, and all this analysis to figure out exactly who they are and what makes them tick and what they value and then how do we change our marketing to appeal to them? What if we take the same, discipline of marketing and advertising and we apply it to our own staff. Let's first start by breaking them into segments so we can truly understand their different values and needs and then deploy the right fix. So in our case, what we discovered there are three major buckets that make up the, the majority, right? So one might be basically the, you know, the younger millennial or generation we and they would look at this job primarily as a part-time job when they're in school or right after school, or it might be a stepping stone for them. And then you've got single parents uh, and or working parents, but uh, that includes a lot of single parents. And they're trying to juggle a life that involves childcare and some of those other barriers we talked about. And they they are more thinking that this is moved from a job to a career, but they need right. it to be a career they can believe in, right? With right. upper mobility flexibility, et cetera. And then the last group is we also proudly employ a lot of first-generation Americans. We have a lot of Spanish-speaking and, and immigrants and refugees from a variety of different countries that come and have been a key part of our success from the beginning. And so if you break our, our staff into three buckets, that would be primarily their buckets. Yeah. We, and again, when we ask each of them separately, what, what, what would make the difference for them? And we found three very different answers. So first of all, the younger uh, staff, we're very influenced by what i would call the uber effect right yep. they know that they they themselves have already experienced or their friends are experienced that they can download an app apply for a job get screened get approved be working that day get paid that day get affirmation throughout the day and manage their own schedule yeah and they could be walking away with a thousand dollars of income per week and they're they've got a job that generates you know 50 grand a year so with yep. that mindset and expectation what we realize is that we're not most restaurants aren't really built for all that but offering things like our you know our partner work stream where we can have text to apply uh streamlining that process um we're working on an initiative to be able to offer same day pay for those employees as a new perk next year and so paying attention to those particular values uh that more instant mindset Mm. the next group would be will be paying attention to Flexible schedules for childcare, will be a 401k and retirement benefits to help people see that we're invested in their long-term, not just this schedule, not just these seven chips, as you say.
0: Right. <laughs> um,
1: and then you look at our Spanish speaking, our first generation American, um, we have invested into a platform called NGen. We've had some great initial success, but basically takes... A staff member speaks any language and teaches them English. Right. And while we, we see value across a variety of different languages, we know that sometimes a, a language barrier can be a barrier to advancement. And we don't want that to be the case. So those are there are more things we're doing, but I think you got to start by making sure you're just, just to be in the game. You got to pay your people well. They need a living wage, they need a fair right. wage, they need an opportunity to advance. Uh, And to be, you know, paid performance bonuses based on their contributions. Like that's just to get in the game. Then these three initiatives for the three groups that I spoke to is really how we're trying to pay more attention to our staff.
0: Yeah. So you're saying kind of beginning with that kind of blanket, there are things that will apply to everybody, wages, um, you know, scheduling, and then kind of going from there, once you kind of like you said, table stakes, diving in and saying, well, who works for me? Because you might not have any... Um, you know, there may not be any first generation Americans working for you, depending on the area that you're in, there might not be any kids working for you. So some of that stuff might not matter to the people that work for you. I guess moving on from there, kind of talking about retention, you know, you're not going to be able to keep people around if you're not hiring, like none of these things are going to matter if you don't hire right from the beginning. Right. You know, I just want to kind of pick your brain a bit. What, what are you doing in terms of recruiting and hiring that you're making sure that you're bringing the right people in from the very beginning? To kind of fit your values, and
1: and I'll go back to that analogy with marketing and advertising. Right, in the same way that when you have a say a struggling restaurant or a restaurant wants to grow, we don't go invest in the accelerator of marketing advertising until the operations are good. Right, you want to have great right. operations; otherwise, we're just exacerbating the problem. But on top of great operations, you can really the right marketing investment can make a big difference. Same thing with staffing. Right, we want to focus first and foremost on retention and then recruitment in that order. We want to obsess over for all the, so one of the things we do, right? We start by a clear communication, honest communication with all of our staff um, from the get-go about what the expectations are. So we use the WHO method. Great book lays out a methodology for articulating very clearly for the expectations. It basically establishes a scorecard of what every person's mission is, what their responsibilities and their competencies are. So when we engage with them on a daily basis or... Annual evaluation and anything in between. It's it's not subjective. It's based off of winning. Looks like this. So give people a clear strike zone and people. Most people want to really meet or exceed expectations. If only they're clear. So let's just make them clear. And then you know beyond that, it's give them great training. And usually, if people have the right attitude and you know the right aptitude, we can base we can provide the right training. So we've invested in a platform we call Create. It's based on a, a. Program out of the Tampa Bay area called Kiwi, and we have gone to great lengths to build um, uh, multi-language training that really appeals to our staff and helps them move through the various levels of the, their progression of their of their career. Those are those are some of the some of the key pieces. And then along the way, it's you know it's if you invest in great people, then they are your best resource for referrals to their friends, their classmates, their roommates, their colleagues um because only if it's a great place to work they're going to want to naturally not just for the couple hundred dollar referral bonus but they're going to naturally work around more people they love right and that's one of our aspirations is that tzatziki is a place where you where people love to work um and anything short of that we feel like we've failed and that goes back again full circle to culture that cannot be a mantra or an aspiration it needs to be you know Does the manager know their staff and care about their staff inside of work and outside of work? Are they honest with them and uh, not only praising, giving more opportunity to the A players, but coaching up the B players and confronting the C players to make it very clear how they can, they can not get stuck in that doghouse, right? It's all about clear and, um, you know, kind of heart-centered communication.
0: Absolutely. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, the difference between a job and a career, and I think you know the, the kind of initiatives that you guys are doing are is is really kind of making that separate. Um, you know, hospitality is a career in most parts of the world, other than here in the in the United States. But um, how do you kind of make up that gap?
1: Yeah, I I love that you and and some others have are you know confronting raising this contrast about how other parts of the world just think about their their workforce um, in the restaurant world right and i and cuz i think it's something that we need to consider once again i think it seems to be something about europe and other parts of the world where they hire full time they they pay wages to keep people they give them um, retirement benefits because the whole gig from the beginning has been about a long term professional level job and you got to pay for that yep. versus in america i think our our vastly entrepreneurial spirit and then everyone is starting at the bottom and everyone's trying to race to the top, that mindset has really informed this idea that there would just be this you know, endless amount of part-time jobs that would just move on. And I think maybe in a QSR world, that still can work just fine. Um, I think when you elevate to a fast casual, in our case, kind of an elevated fast casual that has some of the benefits of even fine dining yeah. as far as the quality of the food and quality of the service, that becomes more challenging, right? And so some of these idea of the like micro shifting is possibly what our future looks like, something that would create a tremendous amount of pressure for uh, relative to the complexity of one's menu and prep required. So I think think the first thing is before we rush in to solve the problem, I think we do need to stop, have time of self-reflection and say, okay, that maybe the things that got us here are not gonna get us there into the future. And so that I think we need to actually start by, before we get to staffing and start with the core menu and the format, the guest experience and say, all right, well, perhaps we can still provide a great experience, but have a simpler prep that would require either less people or less training. And so that's a process we're investing in right now. We have through all of 2021 and the first part of 2022, and we're, we're really want to stretch that. I think after that, then you got to look at everything from your actual menu to, your supply chain, your equipment, and everything in between. I think beyond that, then you get, then we have to look and say, okay, what is the ideal makeup, the core makeup of, of a staff? You clearly, I think we've all adopted that you have some full-time managers, maybe ADMs. Yeah. Uh, one one tactic many have deployed during this time is actually expanding the, the, the roles and the number of people that we actually employ full-time. It's kind of a move towards that European model a little bit. Yeah. And we've had to adjust benefits likewise. And so now, you know, now we what we're going to have to figure out is okay. What are we left with then? Is there enough? Uh, if we could reduce our, our labor and prep by say twenty percent, is there an at, increase the number of full time employees? Is there enough part time labor there for us to pull from? And or do we have to go all the way to micro shifting? Do we have to go all the way to people that are, you know, the looking for the Uber version of restaurants and they just right. want to pick up shifts here or there? Very painful for restaurants, but I can see why very appealing for some staff, at least for a season of life. Right. So I think unfortunately right now, um, there are more questions than answers. Although I think this is a time we shouldn't fake clarity and shouldn't fake certainty when we don't have certainty. We have prolonged uncertainty. And so what we need to do is make some adjustments and be willing to keep iterating as we go, be willing for some ideas that maybe blow our minds a little bit, like micro-shifting, and be open to... Um, where both our guests want to take us towards omni-channel and more digital and more delivery and also where our staff want to take us um, what they're willing to to contribute as a labor force and we're going to have to be flexible more flexible than we've ever been
0: yeah I think it's it's fair to say that kind of the restaurants themselves are not going to be dictating how how it goes in the traditional way of like I mean there's still going to be those traditional sit down restaurants where you go and a server takes your order and and, you know the way it's always kind of been but I think, like you said, the, the diner and the restaurant employee are both kind of pulling it in a very different direction. I just want to dive a little bit into micro-shifting for those that are not familiar. For my understanding, it's similar to if I were to sign up for an Uber or DoorDash and I can pick up, you know, there's someone in my neighborhood that needs something delivered. I can just pick that up and say, I'm going to make this delivery, I'm going to make whatever money or Uber, someone needs a shift, it's up to me if I want to choose to pick that up or not. Um, and kind of bringing that idea into the restaurant industry, we saying, Tzatziki's needs someone to work from three to eight. You know, I'm a trained, uh, you know, food service professional. I've never worked there before, but I can hop in and make some orders and, and serve some guests and kind of hop out and cash out that day. Is that kind of the idea?
1: Yeah, I think there's, I've heard two different approaches to this. And one is more like what you just said, it's basically is basically is leveraging the gig economy mindset and existing network. And creating a platform similar to Grubhub or, or, or Uber, Uber Eats that would allow this workforce, a marketplace for this workforce to see and pick up shifts that they're pre-qualified for. Yep. That's that's one way. Now, before we go on to the second way, there there are some some levels of that, right? There's the I would go back to the complexity of one's menu and the task at hand is really what dictates the viability of that idea. Right. So if you're talking about cashier probably the easiest, or dishwasher those two probably bookends they're the probably the most transferable skills if you have say been certified on whatever it is aloha or micros or toast or square or fill in the blank then that is a a somewhat transferable skill although the setup of these various platforms can make that be you know more or less easy dishwasher in most cases is going to be pretty transferable it's what's in between um, right. however much that's as simple that a robot could do it or it requires a, a uh, Culinary Institute of America chef to do it and everything in right. between, okay? So that that is the problem why, again, I would say that that, that model worked probably better for QSR and and, and the more advanced you go up the, the chain, the less, okay? The other way to think about this would be, well, if most restaurants have say 100% to 150% turnover every year, this churn, creates a dynamic whereby a whole bunch of people have already worked at your restaurant, say Tzatziki's, and they already know how to do some or multiple tasks at Tzatziki's. And if they were not just to leave and never see them again, but leave, maintain some low level of certification right. and join a broader network, this marketplace of gig workers, essentially, then, they, then, then I could access them again. I could tap right. back into that former employee network, if you will, right? And so if you think about that, now I, that, that might solve a little bit of a problem because now they can not only have worked at said point of sale, but now I know that they've worked on the roll-up station at Tzatziki's. And I, I know that maybe with fewer hours of, of sorry training, I could get them up to speed relatively quick. Yeah. But one must need to ask, you know, well, why did they leave in the first place? <laughs> and, of course. and why would an employee want to always be an attempt to hire mode. Why, why would they, what would be the advantages over that versus maybe, maybe you're shopping around for a while to find the right landing spot. That makes sense to me. But then eventually, don't you want to find a great culture that pays really well that appreciates your work and empowers your personality and your future? Right. Eventually, it seems to me that most anybody would want to have a landing spot. So I'm not sure about the viability of that long term. We're going to find out. But I think those are the two rationales of how. Some
0: early start companies are thinking about this. Yeah. And it's, it's a super interesting concept. And, you know, I think there's even another way to think about it too would be, and maybe you can see, speak to see if this is something that's kind of being talked about, but, you know, maybe you're in a college town or an area with a lot of kids. And maybe instead of having 12 employees, you have 30 people that know what they're doing. And maybe they can only work five hours a week. But that's kind of how you make up that. Yeah, you know i was talking to my brother and he's he's an ra at his school and he's like i can only work 10 hours a week i was like he's like what job is going to hire me for 10 hours a week i was like i honestly don't know but you know micro shifting may be the future of that where it's you know i've got a little bit of time and i want to work a little bit so i can do that
1: yeah um, that's right i actually have it's funny you say that i have a firsthand experience uh one of my first forays into the restaurant space was was launching and managing six different restaurants. The Tzatzikis was one of them as a wow. franchisee, and and it was on a college campus. And we yeah. were you know, we accepted meal plan as a form of payment, and we had no choice but to adopt micro shifting. And it was well, I got classes and five hours available to you or six hours. Now you lose a lot of efficiency. We had to be really creative, piecemealing together. But you know there were there was no other option, and so we made it work. And perhaps the future involves some of the same challenge.
0: Absolutely. And I think the, you know, like you said, we have to be really open-minded when it comes to the future. And It's definitely not going to be the same way it was. And I mean, micro shifting, I think is one of those things that kind of uh, you have to be willing to have your mind blown to, to accept, but you know, the more you dive down and the more you kind of think about it, I think it it could be viable in the future.
1: Yeah. One other thing to add is there's a, you know, we're talking mostly about the human side as we should, but There's also a technology side. Much has been made about online ordering and mobile ordering and and marketplace ordering and all of that. Um, But it also creates a new pressure on uh, complexity to manage the sophistication of all these inbound orders. And now suddenly we, we need to challenge ourselves about ideal labor and challenge ourselves about the systems we use and how much labor man hours it attributes to each activity because it is slightly different for a dine-in guest versus a curbside guest versus a catering guest that you're personally delivering or uh, even a third-party delivery guest. There's now not only the prep dynamic, but the execution, the packaging, and the logistics, whether the logistics is as simple as bringing it to a table, bringing it to a delivery shelf or getting in a vehicle and taking it all the way there. Now this sort of load balancing or kitchen capacity management becomes as important as anything, because we can make all the changes in what we want in the world to our menus and to our prep, but if we cannot reflect them in our systems to be more efficient, to take all of these in consideration and maximize the throughput, we will not have created uh, enough good in this new labor dynamic.
0: Absolutely. And that's definitely something to consider. Um, you know, you don't want to take it too far. And like, you can't op- over optimize to the point where it just kind of doesn't work anymore. And, and, you know, the human element is gone. And I think that's important to keep in mind. But with that, I think, you know, uh, that's about all the time we have for today. But thanks so much for the conversation. I think there's a lot of really forward thinking, awesome ideas, you know, and you guys are really kind of paving the way at tiziki's for what it means to, I think, be an employer of choice for people that are working in the industry. Um, and I applaud you guys for all of that um, and excited to see what uh, you do moving forward. Thank you so
1: much. I really appreciate these kinds of great conversations. Thanks for the good work you're doing as well.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and where can folks find you if they want to work for you or just want to explore or see what you're doing? Yeah. a Good place to start. is just tzatzikis.com. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks again for checking out the Restaurant Growth Podcast. We're glad to have you as a listener. For more great content from 7Shifts, check out our website and blog, sevenshifts.com slash blog. You can also hit us on all of the social media platforms at 7Shifts. Thanks.